welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you conversations with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include technology, culture, leadership, and more. Coming to you from the Three Pillar Global Studio in Fairfax, Virginia, I'm your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this episode, we'll be looking at setting your product teams up for success in 2018. We'll talk about why not to spend too much time on annual planning at the beginning of the year, why you and your team should start seeing the world with a product mindset, and what a modern day product team should look like. Here with us today to talk about those topics and more are Jonathan Rivers and Jessica Hall. Jonathan is the Chief Technology Officer at 3Pillar, a role in which he leads more than 700 software engineers, product consultants, product managers, quality assurance, and user experience professionals. He works with 3Pillar team members in each of our locations throughout the world to foster product development best practices that lead to business value for clients. That team includes Jessica Hall, 3Pillar Senior Director of Product Strategy and Design. Jessica helps clients from startups to established enterprises build great products and more customer-focused teams. She's a frequent speaker at nationally known product conferences, and in the fall of 2017 alone, she spoke at both Lean Startup Week and the Atlassian Summit. Her recent work has appeared in Mind the Product and A List Apart, among others. Welcome back to the podcast, Jonathan and Jess. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So if we look outside, we can see the snow on the ground. It's January 3rd today. This episode will go out early in January. So we want to give people some tangible tips that they can use to make 2018 a raging success for them and their teams. Let me start out with the listicle question because it was kind of the germ of the idea that led us to record this podcast. Jess, you work with product leaders on a ton of different teams. What are the three things you think every product team should be doing or should have in place to start off the year? So a lot of teams are coming out of annual planning and coming out of the holidays and trying to eat better and exercise and get some stuff done. And the annual planning process, sadly, is a colossal waste of time and money. Um, So you have a lot of people who are focused on doing a lot of stuff and they've done a lot of estimations and planning and they've fought for money and now they're ready to get started. Those teams need to know what mountain they're climbing and why it's important to get to the top. They need to know that we're trying to increase revenue, increase adoption, reduce churn, target certain kinds of customers and and serve them with new things and why that's possible. So coming into the year, the most important investment you can make into your product teams is giving them that clear picture of what that mountain is and what it looks like when we get to the top and giving them some runway to experiment and figure out how to get there, as opposed to saying, here's the roadmap, execute, 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 because those things may not actually achieve the vision that we're going to do. So giving them that clear picture of where we're going and the freedom to experiment and figure out how to get there is the best use of time. It's the best use of money, and it's going to have the best chance of success and really empowers and motivates your teams to be successful rather than giving them 
the roadmap where it's handed down that this is all the stuff we got to do. And we don't entirely understand why. We don't entirely understand what we're trying to do, but we know we're going to be held accountable for meeting all these commitments. That's just going to event a lot of code and maybe a lot of awesome code, but it's not going to be code that's going to help that business grow and thrive in 2018. Okay, nice. So show them the mountain they're climbing. And then we talked about stage gates, for example. How much runway should you give a team when after you say, okay, this is the mountain we want to climb, do you give them three months, six months, the calendar year? Depending on the size and scope, I would say one to three months is a good point to say, okay, what did we learn? What have we done? What have we accomplished? And then we're going to give you the next quarter and the next quarter. So not necessarily giving them a year. That's too much runway. It's not going to create the intensity and the focus you need. But about the one to three month uh, timeline will give them enough runway that they don't feel completely constrained, but not so much that they're going to meander mm-hmm. and waste a lot of time on things that aren't going to pay off. Sure. So Jonathan, let me ask you the same from the more technical side of the house. As I mentioned, as I mentioned in the intro, you have a team of 700 plus engineers that are your charges. That number may have grown in the last two weeks, uh, but uh, clearly they're part of a product team. But what are the things that you think they either need to have in place or technology or development areas that you want every one of them keeping an eye on? Sure. I think there are a couple that are, are coming to mind as is, is strong choices for 2018. I think two in particular really go to speeding things up and reducing friction, getting uh, code into production. Uh, the first is if you haven't already done some, now is the time to invest in a QA automation framework. The money spent on that investment will pay itself off in spades as you continue to grow and build your product lines. You know, QA automation, a good framework that is going to test all of your code every time that it is checked in is really going to reduce your time to market. It's going to get you a better quality of code by catching problems earlier in the cycle, anything that's caught closer to the time that it was written is going to be much less expensive to fix uh, and, you know, will be much sort of faster to fix as a result. And again, it allows you to scale seamlessly and having a QA automation framework is going to be essential in a good CI CD setup. So that way you can get to a place where you can confidently submit code deploy straight to production and know that you've got a good chance of success. You know, currently companies are continuing to invest in manual testing, which is just madness uh, in my point of view. Manual testing is paying someone to check the work that you paid someone to do. It just doesn't make sense. And I, I will caveat that, of course, that there will always be a place for exceptionally high value exploratory testing. Our customers sometimes do odd things that our developers could never imagine. And you want to have a level of manual testing, but you want to make it valuable. The second that I will uh, sort of talk about is, is being you know ready for prime time, surprisingly so, is Docker and container technologies. You know, I've been a critic of of Docker over the years. I don't think it was particularly scalable, but it's really started to get prime time. And it's something that all organizations should be examining very, very carefully. Docker and containers specifically 
allow your developers to have nearly production-like environments to develop against. It's going to get rid of that. It worked on my laptop. So this gives them the opportunity on their laptops to have something nearly identical to production. Again, getting cleaner code, things that are going to work, being able to find problems closer to the time of writing the software than they would if they actually had to wait two, four weeks before something got into production. It also makes the code that much more portable. So what the developer tested and, and wrote on their machine can actually be deployed as a unit to production. Both of these things are really reducing that friction and trying to get code into production faster. And I think when, when people you know, say I need DevOps or I want DevOps, a lot of what they're, they're really saying is I need to see the value from my software more quickly. So I wrote it, but why am I not seeing the value of it for, for four, six, eight weeks as it's gone through a lot of manual testing or it's gone to an IT operations group to, to vet before they actually deploy it. And both of these are going to get, you know, through that and help get that code into production faster. And the third thing that I want to say, everybody should start investigating. It's, it's still fresh, a little immature, but great for some use cases, but not all of them are serverless technologies. So technologies like Amazon's Lambda service, you know, really allow your developers to write only code and not deal with infrastructure. And, and Amazon and everyone knows that I'm a, a huge proponent of, of building and deploying cloud native, cloud first, cloud all of the time. This is getting rid of dealing with servers and allows you to shrink your IT infrastructure footprint, the less number of operations people that you have, uh, and really just focus on building things with all of the services that Amazon now has available merely just as code without having to do a lot of the orchestration or automation that you would with big server infrastructures. I think, you know, like I said, it's not for all use cases yet, but if your use case matches, it's something you should really invest in because not only are you going to reduce the amount of infrastructure you have and the overhead that comes from maintaining it, again, code can be deployed instantly, reducing the time to production. And then finally, you're only paying for CPU cycles that you use. You're no longer paying for idling servers. So your costs can get dramatically lowered by only paying for what you're really using. Like I said, early on, but for, for 2018, I think everybody needs to be taking a good look at it. Okay, nice. And, and let me ask about something you mentioned early in that answer. CI, CD for the uninitiated is continuous integration, continuous delivery. Deployment. And, deployment, yeah. excuse me. Uh, and And... On certain teams, we have it set up so that pretty much any one of our developers who's writing code can can launch to production whenever they feel like it, right? That's right. So we've got, uh, you know, we, we mandate CI on on all of our projects. Uh, it's just modern. There's, there's no reason you shouldn't be doing it. But in some cases, we've built full pipelines that uh, code is submitted. It kicks off QA automation tests, runs through, you know, a thousand or so regression tests sends up a green build, uh, and then once that's been been rated green, it's it's ready to go to production with the click of a button. Zero, zero friction, you know, between a button push, five minutes later, you're staring at it on the internet. It's it's pretty rad. All right, nice. So if you if you want to never hear the words again, it works on my machine, uh, you might want to look into setting up a QA automation framework. Uh, that and, and containers, yeah, absolutely. You okay. want it better? faster and you want your engineers doing more high value work 
this is how you make that happen. Okay, thanks. So let me take a step back so that we can talk about what actually constitutes a quote-unquote modern-day product team. So here at Three Pillar, it's 2018. We have 100-plus product teams working across 150 product lines. What are the disciplines or practice areas that you two feel are necessary to form a product team in this day and age? So uh, I'll maybe, you know, start. And, and I think I pin a lot of what I consider necessary for a good product team with the three amigos. So you, you have your, your, your product manager, uh, your subject matter expert, the one who understands the business, uh, a, a technical lead, or in my mind, every team should be pinned down by a good full stack developer, one who understands front end, back end, the full ecosystem, uh, somebody who has a wide range of skills. I believe that every team should have at least one generalist on it. Uh, somebody who can cover for any number of things and again have that holistic view and then third uh, a QA lead I think you know again we, we talked about QA automation it's it's something near and dear to my heart and quality should never be an afterthought I think as you build everything you should build with quality in mind and having those three people all as the core of the team allows you to know what to build how to build it, and then to know if you've built it correctly, which is essential. Okay, nice. Any, anything to add, Jess? I would add um, the user experience perspective as well. So what? how do we create an experience that's desirable for the person that gives them the features that they need that solves their problem that does it in a way that's easy and for them to understand? So I'd add that piece. And I would also say you can have tremendous people on that team, but if they are all trying to advance their own agenda, if they have not formed around a common mission and a common goal and a common understanding of what success looks like, I don't think you're going to have like an all-star team that doesn't know how to play together. No, and and, and Jess makes a, a good point. I'll, I'll chime two things in there. One, uh, I firmly believe that user experience and product management are merging. It's something that we've done here in Three Pillar is combine that group together because I think those two professions are, are, are no longer as distinct as they used to be. Uh, and so making sure that your product people have a good understanding and appreciation for user experience and that, frankly, your engineers have a good understanding and uh, experience with, with user experience is, is hugely, uh, hugely, hugely important. The second which is, is a bit of a tangent, but is important for 2018. One of the things that the market is starting to shift towards is having your head of technology own both product and engineering. And this is something that I recommend for a lot of our clients out there, you know, to Jess's point, where they have to be working as a team when product and engineering serve different masters and are compensated, incentivized, graded on different things, you're going to have a conflict of interest by setting up your organizations so that product and engineering have the same reporting lines. You get away from some of that. There's a level of adjudication that comes from working for the same person or working for the same vision. And I'm starting to see increasing numbers of CTOs and CIOs wanting product working for them uh, as well. Okay, got it. 
So sticking with product, two of the words that echoed in the hallways here at Three Pillar for the majority of 2017 are product mindset. Just having all the component parts of a modern day product team won't do you much good if they're working and thinking like traditional product development teams. Jess, you spent much of last year ensconced in the product mindset, <laughs> teaching the product mindset. What is the product mindset? Honey, just you wait. 2018, <laughs> big year for product mindset. We are just getting started with this bad boy. So we have been in business as a company for about 11 years. And if you look back to our earliest days, we were fixing outsourced development gone wrong. And most projects of any technology project, they're, they're failing. They're failing because they're over budget. They're failing because they're behind schedule. They're failing because they're not meeting the needs of the customer or the business. And so you think, oh, the answer is having the right tools and the right technologists. But that'll get you great code, but it won't necessarily get you a sustainable business, a growing, thriving collection of customers. You can have... Um, great infrastructure, great deployment, great processes for development code. But if that team is not thinking about how they're creating value every day for their customers and their business, then that's not a team that's going to be successful. And so kind of what's in our history and what we teach all of our 800 plus, soon to be a thousand, I'm sure, engineers is the product mindset. It's the thinking part, not necessarily the how or the why, but how do we think about these problems? How do we solve these problems with a way that's going to help these companies grow? And we've kind of taken that and distilled it down to three core values. Um, number one is build for outcomes. We are not necessarily here to just create code. We're here to solve problems for customers. We're here to solve problems for businesses. And when you tell a team your job is to solve problems, your job is to create revenue growth, to create new users, to keep people more engaged, they're going to tackle that problem with an entirely different perspective. They're going to ask questions. They're going to create trade-offs that are different. And they're really going to be focused on being accountable to that number. Are we moving the important numbers, not the vanity numbers, but the important numbers? And I think it really calls them to a higher purpose than just have clean code, which is a weird concept that code can be clean. But or, just, or just, getting through a number of story yeah. points in a week. Yeah, right? or just getting through a number of story points. So that we're not just here to write good code. We're here to help that business as well. And the next one is minimize time to value. That's Jonathan's favorite. He's pretty obsessed with that one. And a lot of times when people call us, it's because, you know, 30% of the budget's gone, six months are gone, and they have nothing to show for the money and the time and the effort. They have post-it notes and stickies and drawings and some Jira tickets, but didn't add up to anything. We didn't look at this and say, okay, here's the problem. Here's the smallest solution to that problem we could do. We got it out in the hands of users. And we figured out what that looks like. And for internal stakeholders, I was on an elevator once when my CEO said to me, hey, what you working on? And I handed him an iPad. And I'm like, this. And let me tell you about what this thing is that we created. Because it had the most, um, you know, it had whatever was in staging, whatever we had just finished that morning. And so he could see it and get really excited about it and be able to give me feedback. He felt in that moment that we weren't a team that was just burning money like all his other teams. We were a team that actually was doing stuff. It helps us also to connect with our customers and make better decisions about what to build. So we're not going to invest a bunch of time and money into something that people don't want. We're going to build out a small piece of it, see that, 
oh yeah, that's actually doing the job. Let's double down in that area. And that's that's tough to do for two reasons. One, it's kind of conceptually hard to think small and to say like, I'm going to take this big idea and I'm going to make it small. I'm a crusher of hopes and dreams. So that's kind of what I do all day. The other thing is that you have to get the organization to trust you that there's going to be another release, that there's going to be more stuff. And I'm not just going to give that for today. And our third is really excelling a change. Um, I had someone tell me one time, I just want to go to a company that's not going through change. Well, I can tell you with 50 plus clients and all the people that Jonathan and I talked to on a visit, ain't nobody going through, no, <laughs> no one's staying the same. Markets change, customers change, competitors change, regulations change. We, it's not enough to, it's not good enough to just accept this change. It's not good enough to respond it. We have to be excelling at it. We have to build in ways that allow us to make changes, to keep that cost low. We have to be willing to abandon things. We have to be open to possibilities and thinking through different ways of doing things so that we can manage change. And sometimes that means saying no. You know what? Yeah, that's a cool idea, but it just doesn't work with where we are today. And maybe that's a change we'll make in the future, but we're not going to make it today. So be able to manage that change so it's not highly disruptive. Because I can tell you that I see a lot of teams who are going through so much thrashing and they're wasting time and effort and cycles because they haven't learned how to excel at change, both in the way they work and the way they manage the organization. Okay, got it. And for, for listeners out there who might be thinking, okay, I've heard, I've heard about Lean, I know about Agile, I've used Scrum, familiar with design thinking. How does product mindset compare to those? How is it different? How is it similar? Sure. So funny story about this one. <laughs> it might have taken me a lot longer to come to this realization than I would have liked. But I, when I started teaching the product mindset outside of Three Pillar, I took it to hardcore agilists and people who are really in design thinking. And they all said, oh, it's repackaged agile or repackaged design thinking. And, uh, and I realized it wasn't actually either one of those things. And we didn't need the 13th standard, if you've ever seen that webcomic. Yep. We didn't need it. We don't need another tool. Uh, Agile is a tool. Lean is a tool. Design thinking is a tool. Um, I don't, I'm rather mercenary about tools. Either it's going to help me do the job or I don't care. Or I'm going to figure out how to use it to get the job I've done. I'm not religiously devoted to any one practice. What the product mindset does, it's really a lens so that no matter what your methodology is, your background, your skill set, the language that you use in your day-to-day practices, that it helps us all align on a single focus of how we're going to work together to advance things for this business. The thing that sets product mindset apart is that, in fact, it is a mindset. It is a, a way of thinking and a set of behaviors that you're trying to build into an organization. And even think about it from a, a technologist's point of view, you know, build for outcomes. All right. Requirements are are, are, are fairly dumb and, and blasé these days. We, we go hire the smartest people we can find, but then we're going to tell them what to do and exactly how to do it. It doesn't make sense. You're, you're taking agency away from brilliant, brilliant people. You tell them what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, and then let them apply their minds for how they want to get you there, minimizing time to value. Software that is not in production has zero business value. It is like potential energy. A rock that is is sitting on the ground is doing nothing, and neither is your software sitting in a code repository. Software in production is moving. It is generating interest, revenue, value, 
eyeballs. It, it can do things by being in production. What's the best way to get something into production? Make something small, make something fast, get it there. Third, excel for excel at change. You're not going to be able to excel at change unless you have learned anything. So you have minimized time to value. You have put something out there. You know what your customers want. You know what your customers are not responding to. Hopefully you've put good analytics in there and you see what's being used. And then you go build more and new things, building on that potential energy. If you think again about that rock metaphor, a rock that is not moving takes a lot of energy to move. And once it starts moving, it is increasingly easy and takes less effort to change its direction when it already has momentum. And this is why it's so powerful to start talking to developers and engineers about this mindset. We want to get them out of just thinking about tickets or story points, right? Story points just don't really mean anything. We want them thinking about, do I have my software in production? Is my business growing? Are we learning? Are we actually doing something? And I think that's where it just ends up being pretty powerful. So I think in 2018, the challenge that we have to issue is let's spend a little less time focusing on telling the team exactly what, what it looks like and exactly how it works and what the commitment is. Let's spend a little less time talking about how, exactly how your agile rituals need to work or how you're processing to work. Let's spend a lot more time as product leaders talking about where, where are we going? What does it look like when we get there? Spend a lot more time talking about why it's important for us as a company to get there. And what I think you'll start to see is that your teams will feel empowered and motivated by that. They're going to come off. If you've created, you've given them the target and you created the opportunities and the mindsets and rewarding them for taking those risks and doing that learning and moving those things forward, you're going to see a lot more out of 2018 than you did in years before where you were just focused on, okay, so how much of that fictional roadmap that we made up 12 months ago did we actually do and measuring your team based on that? I think that you, know, you, you make a great point. Anyone who's not convinced uh, about Jess's notion of, of, of cutting planning down. Take a look at your plan. Take a look at your plan for 2017. Take a look at your roadmap for 2017. Find out all the things that you didn't do and then decide whether or not the time planning them was well spent. You know, we've spent uh, years, years adopting agile and lean methodologies, but planning hasn't changed. Planning is still being done the same way when we did software development in a waterfall fashion. It's probably time that our planning needs to be more agile. You look at the folks over at Basecamp, they do six-week planning. They won't plan anything further than six weeks. That's a little extreme. Love it. But, you know, it goes to showing that they are now planning their business the way that they are planning their software. And the two things need to get aligned a little more closely. And let me ask one question in closing that's a little bit off topic, but I thought it was a, it was a, an interesting and possibly inflammatory statement that you made at one of the product mindset <laughs> workshops, Jonathan. Uh, and, I know that, <laughs> and I know that one of, uh, one of the product managers who used to work under you said that does not sound like the Jonathan Rivers that I knew. But you <laughs> said that, that five nines is the enemy of innovation. 
What makes that the case? <laughs> and, and can you give a little background on what five nines are? Sure. So so five nines would be uh, the number of nines in your, your uptime rating for your product. So that would be 99.999% up. Uh, so I have a long, long-standing background in IT operations, system administration, and cloud infrastructure, where the coin of your realm is uptime. <laughs> and here the thing is about it, and, and so this was, was what I did for, for, for low these many years, was keep websites up and available. Now, the way you do that is minimize all change possible, and all IT groups in the world are built to stop change. The best way to keep a website or a system open or up is to get it correct and then change nothing. Because if nothing changes, then, and you have the proper design, then you will have six, seven, eight, nine, uh, uh, you know, points of, of uptime. The reason this is bad is because your business will stagnate. You are resisting change. You are resisting new code into production. You are slowing things down. Again, I talked earlier that code in a software repository has zero business value. Code in production has business value. And as business leaders, what you have to develop is a risk tolerance, right? How much downtime are you willing to accept? And when you start talking about five, six, nines, you're talking about minutes a year or, or a month. It's a ridiculously low amount of time. And so are you trying to slow your business down for something that, you know, doesn't really matter? And I think that, you know, when I, when I talk to folks in the, in the C-suite, it's really talking to them about how fast do they want to go and, and what, is their, what is their appetite for organizations who would have huge reputational loss it's probably not a good idea. You need uptime. Things that are infrastructure related, you know, maybe it's it's bank or air travel. Those need exceptionally high uptime, right? But for a website, think about it. It's a content website that's advertising revenue. What's what's twenty minutes of of downtime over a year or or a month? Is that going to impact their business? And does the additional innovation or learning uh, that comes from that? Uh, going to be worth it. And one thing that, you know, one of my, you know, my engineers, uh, DevOps guys who work for me, you know, is, is, is fairly famous for saying there are things that you cannot test until you put it into production. You will not know how your clients are accessing it or what they're doing. All the logs, all the analytics won't get you that. And sometimes you use sort of a canary in the coal mine method, uh, blue-green deployment to test things out, but you have to be willing to experiment and you have to be willing to fail. Otherwise, you're not going to learn uh, and you're just going to slow down that that time to value. All right. So to sum it up, in 2018, plan less, do more, take a few risks. Learn faster. <laughs> exactly. Okay, nice. Well, thanks so much for joining us in the studio and sharing uh, tips that product teams can use to find success in 2018. Thank you. Always happy to be here. Apologies for the audio on this episode sounding a little bit less perfect than normal. We didn't have the soundboard running to our recorder somehow, so you're just getting room audio of Jonathan, Jessica, and me. But, you know, we figured we would take a little bit of their advice and get something out quickly to provide value for you all rather than sitting on it or redoing the episode and striving for perfection. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening as always. 
The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Google Play to ensure that you never miss a new episode and head to threepillarglobal.com slash podcast to receive new updates about our show and read the full show notes and transcript of each episode. Don't forget, we also have an app for our Three Pillar Podcasts. Just search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store.